Welcome to the Growth Enablement Madness Podcast, and I'm Jim Ward, your host, CEO of BrainCell, the growth enablement company. I'm absolutely mad about helping businesses grow and scale. And in this podcast, my team and I get a chance to talk shop with industry thought leaders about a variety of growth enablement strategies, stories, and technology trends. I'm happy that you're here, so let's get the growth conversation started. Welcome, everybody. This is Jim Ward. I'm CEO of BrainCell, and this is the Growth Enablement Madness podcast because we're mad about growth and helping companies scale. Today, we have a really terrific guest with us. She's the author of a book called Subscription Marketing. I'm going to hold it right up here for those who are you watching on. Yes, and everybody's been required to read it. Her name is Ann Janzer, and she is joining us and my team, Sarah Reed, who's our Vice President of Marketing, and Allie Lippman, who's a customer experience account executive. So we have lots of experience in subscription concepts for software. But Anne, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I am an author of now six books. Subscription Marketing, what we're talking about today, was my first. It was the book that got me started writing books, and I started writing it out of a sense of frustration. So we'll talk about what that was. So I'm grateful to the topic. Right now, I write a lot of books about writing itself, which has a good connection with marketing because so much of marketing is about writing. My background was in corporate marketing. I spent more years than I want to say, mostly as a freelance, <laughs> uh, yes, mostly as a freelance marketing consultant for hundreds of different tech companies, companies in the tech sector. I did work with some startups and things as well, but mostly I was just flitting from company to company, learning different things, doing different things, and then made this transition to writing books with this book, Subscription Marketing. So it really was the beginning of a, a shift in my career and the way I engaged in the world. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I mentioned to you earlier that I was on vacation. I've lost track of when now, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and I was reading the book. It was It's a really good, and it's an easy read. And it's just to the point, it's succinct, which I love about books, particularly for me. It maintained my attention span. And I was teamsing everybody back home with these ideas that the book generated for me. So I think this is a great topic for our clients, for anybody out there who's looking to move towards a subscription model. So my question for you is what inspired you to write subscription marketing? You said there was something that inspired you, something through frustration. What was it? Yeah. So as I said, I have been spending years and years as a marketing professional going around as a consultant. And I was starting to notice in software space. And at this point, 2014, all software moved to the cloud, basically. Yeah, it, was, right. it was all the cloud. We weren't mm -hmm. shrink wrapping anymore. <laughs> and so the revenues, right, the revenue stream had fundamentally changed. It mm -hmm. was no longer one big purchase up front with a little incremental support revenue. It was different. And yet I was noticed that marketers could care less. It just made no difference. They just kept hiring me to do more lead generation, lead nurturing. So I remember one story, I'm just going to share it with you, that the straw that broke the camel's back, right? I was working for this little analytics startup. I'm not going to name them. Don't think they're around now. They hired me to do some lead generation, thought yep. leadership, white papers, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And they showed me very proudly the report. So this was for big corporations. They ran the analytics and they, they sent a monthly report to someone deeply embedded in the corporation with the data. And that person used the data and it should provide value to the bottom line. And I looked at the report and I saw there's a lot of opportunities to change how this is presented in a way to change the experience of being the person who gets this report, okay. whether it's from the wording 
you know. So I wrote up a little report summary. It's like, hey, guys, you could do this and this. You could present some of this data in a way so that the person who gets it could easily copy it into a board presentation or an executive mm. report, right? You could help them look smarter easily, quickly. Right. You could frame it in a way that their executives are going to understand. And they say, well, but the people working with this are really specialists. I'm like, yeah, but the people they are having to convince aren't. So what if you did that work for them? It's not changing any of your analytic algorithm. It's just changing the presentation of it. So I gave them a thorough suggestion of what they could do. And it's like, I can do this for you, or you can do this yourself, right? And it was a yawn. It's like, hard no. Yeah, we just need that lead generation stuff, you know, and we okay. really just need to generate the leads. So right there, fundamentally, they had the opportunity to improve the customer experience, improve right. the value of their offering. Right. And they passed because they wanted to chase more leads. So they were using the traditional content piece, perhaps with a landing form just to get somebody's name to talk to. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. You well, or, you know, they wanted more press. They wanted more thought leadership. They wanted more all I of see. this stuff. But this is all in service of getting more leads and not fundamentally improving the customer experience. I mean, don't you want the people inside those companies being really loyal and talking up what they're doing, taking them to their next job. I mean, I, it's, mm -hmm. it's like you're right. you're missing out on a huge part of your marketing when you just ignore what happens once the sale is made, right? You're just missing out on it. So the book, in part, was just this culmination of this kind of, ah, marketing, pay attention. Right. Move <laughs> with the cheese. Move right. with the cheese, right. Exactly. So, so the book covers strategies for companies to nurture customers in a world full of churn. I guess one of the things I think about, we have a lot of customers who are maybe manufacturers. You know, I don't think they even think about the concept of subscription products. Have you seen how that can be applied to folks who have been running a business forever the way they've run it? And then, yes. to, yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So one of the things, so the first edition came out in 2015 and people were getting yep. their heads around this subscription thing. I mean, I talked to people in marketing and they're like, oh, is this for newsletters and newspapers and magazines? Cool, Anne. I'm like, no, no, this is for you. The one fact is that whenever a customer signs up for this ongoing recurring revenue stream, that's a subscription and we need to think about it differently. And we shouldn't right. just look at what we've done for the last decades. But even if you're in a business, so now I'm an author and essentially you might say I sell books, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So, right. and it's not a subscription. You're not subscribing to my books, right? So you might say, well, I don't have to worry about this. But I do because really what I want is a long-term relationship with my reader. I want people to have the sense of, oh, Anne wrote this book and now she has a new book. The subscription really is a package. It's a financial package for a long-term relationship. That long-term relationship is something all of us want. Um, mm -hmm. So I have a non-paid subscription part of my business, which is a newsletter, right? So people okay. pay with their email. So even if you're in a business that is fundamentally selling widgets or offering a service that doesn't seem amenable to subscriptions, right? Yep. The subscription is another way of marketing, of, of creating relationship with someone. And the way that your customers are doing business with other vendors and with other parts of their life is all switching to this model. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, oh, I'm just going to go buy a widget. It's like, I'm going to look for a solution for my widget problem. So there's a fundamental change happening, not just in your business, in your industry, but in your customers' heads. Right. And if you can be the first in your industry or early in your industry to say, hey, how can I tap into that 
and form a different kind of relationship with my customer, then I think that's a really powerful advantage because products, someone else can come along with a product. You know, products right. are products and they're easy to offer competitive offerings. Relationships, however, are more valuable and a little harder to unseat. Yes, right. Exactly. Key phrase, harder to unseat. People buy a product, it's basically perhaps over. There is no feedback loop to maintain your value anymore, so it's easier to unseat. Would you agree with that statement? Yes, that's precisely it. Yeah. You know, even we at BrainCell, who uh, do a lot of business with subscription-style software and we have our services, we've been working on a variety of different subscription models. And it's hard to come up with something because you want to make sure you're delivering value. Sometimes it's not a monetary subscription. It might be the exchange of an email for a newsletter. I think you mentioned that. But in providing education. But then there's, you know, there's so many things probably since you've written this book that has changed since then. I'm thinking about all the subscription services from Netflix to American Express. Membership has its benefits. Amazon. What are some of the other ones that have really come into? Those are the famous ones. Can you think of any other examples that are really more obtuse? Yeah. So interesting. The book that you've read on your vacation was the third edition of this mm -hmm. thing, right? Oh, because things okay. have been changing so rapidly in this space. And that came out beginning of 2020. So just pre-pandemic. So yeah, I mean, there is subscription therapy, right? Subscription oh, right. To, right. So services have moved into the subscription business, subscription legal services, subscription therapy. Yep. There's a whole subscription box world, yeah. right? right? Which has blossomed. Yep. Blossomed. You mean like, like, like clothing in a box that comes to me? Clothing yeah. in a box, bark box. I mean, I think a few yeah. of them were around in 2015 in the first edition, but boy, have they really blossomed. There's a conference for people doing subscription boxes. We so, have some you know, of them as our customers, Jim. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's burgeoning right, area, mm -hmm. right? It's a way for retailers who to now have a direct relationship with the consumer, whereas they didn't before. I think Nike's working on subscription shoes. You know, I mean, it's like oh. anything that you, <laughs> you just mentioned. Don't say that to Jim. Yeah. 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 Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. yeah, you just hit a nerve here because I'm yeah. a big uh, shoe guy. Nike. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, By the way, I'm just, I want to say Nike again in case they want to send me free shoes. Um, and if they're not. Subscription <laughs> trial, maybe that you'll subscription get it. I'm a beta customer. The trial. The beta I'm a beta. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Rent the runway, right? I mean, yeah. who needs to own a lot of fancy clothes? Nobody. You know, what if you're yeah. just your work wardrobe just you subscribed and it just recycled itself all the time? I mean, how cool would that be? So it's blossomed. I it's almost hard to find an industry that doesn't have yeah. some subscription component. I mean, there's in the manufacturing area. It's kind of the as a service, you'll find, you know, there's chemicals as a service and there's, you know, carpeting as a service and they, where you, do, you just solve the problem for them as opposed to selling them stuff by the unit or the leader or the whatever. Something related to this, which I was like, aha, in this book was the important. So trust was a theme throughout, right? But making it as easy to unsubscribe as it is to subscribe. Especially right. for, and that happened to me like a few months ago with Netflix. And I actually came back because it was so easy to unsubscribe that I came back and subscribed. So can you talk a little bit about why it's important? 
because as a marketer, traditionally, your instinct is to make it hard for people, right, to find that unsubscribe link or whatever. That's right. Hide that. You don't want them thinking about it. Oh, my gosh. Or, you know, maybe they won't notice and we can get an extra three months of billing cycle in before they forget, you know, it's like, okay, you never want to predicate your business success on fooling the customer. That's always a really (laughs) bad business. Yes, Sarah. Right. No, no, I know, I know. (laughs) But tell us why. But but yeah, I mean, so fundamentally, when you think about it, subscribing to something is different than buying something. You buy something, you just take on the risk yourself. Okay, I bought it, I made the decision, off we go. When you subscribe, you're constantly potentially needing to reevaluate that subscription. But you also, instead of just being convinced of the value you think you're buying, you have to kind of trust the person or the entity to which you are subscribing. Because again, this is a relationship and not a transaction. So there's trust built into it. So what happens if you're going to unsubscribe? And I don't know the reason that you're unsubscribing from my service, just that you're going to unsubscribe. Mm. I could either quick send you to this guy in this call center is going to try like heck to upsell you or cross sell you, offer deals that you never qualified for as a happy customer. Mm. But now as an unhappy customer, I'm going to throw them at you. So first of all, that just like the trust goes down, right? The perceived value of the solution goes down. It's just, it's not a happy thing. And you're annoyed because... The easiest thing that we should all do as marketers or subscription providers is flip and think about our personal experiences, right. as you have done. And you, know, you said, I had this good experience with Netflix. Mm-hmm. People subscribe sometimes or unsubscribe for reasons that are unrelated to the product. They're like, I lost my job for a while, or I am moving and I'm not going to have time for this, or you know, I've just lost interest. But if you leave them with a good sense, you still leave the relationship in good standing, and they may refer you to someone else. They may come back when conditions change, mm-hmm. all of mm-hmm. this. So you haven't necessarily lost the customer and you haven't lost that stream of word of mouth or referrals or goodwill that comes from happy, loyal customers. So yeah, I think let them go gracefully, make it easy for them to return. This sounds like a marriage Switches. too, by the way. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, relationship, trust, let you them love go. them, let them go. <laughs> you don't want to be that. If they want to. You don't, yeah. don't well, be maybe that we'll change. Yeah, you don't want to just, you know, you want to stalk them. You want to just let them go gracefully. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if they, maybe they'll come back. Yeah, I don't know why yeah. I went there. Sorry. I just yeah. was thinking about the whole time. And I'm thinking maybe the new term is unsubscribe. Nobody got that joke. Divorce, unsubscribe. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Unsubscribe right from the marriage. Yeah. I would like to enter into yeah. a subscription. Unsubscribe <laughs> attorneys. Unsubscribe yeah. attorneys. Unsubscription <laughs> attorneys. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I took us it, down there. I, have, I actually have a question. Good I, for I'm you, a, Allie. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I guess this is near and dear to my heart because one of the first things I did when I came to BrainCell was help establish some of our customer success practices and really how we continue the relationship with our customers and add additional value, what it looks like to retain and then expand in our accounts. So I think about this a lot and I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm curious about kind of the unpaid subscriptions versus a paid subscription. So for instance, we provide a named customer success manager to all of our customers and they do periodic assessments issue triaging, help introduce new new product, kind of add additional value into the account. So where does that line, where do you draw that line? Like how do we create membership services when what is acceptable as like a, I guess like a complimentary service versus a product? 
Yeah. So, you know, I think too often we think about the services as these extra, the product is ka This is what the money is and the services mm-hmm. are just kind of extra to support it. But if you stop for a moment and think about the whole thing, the customer's not buying a stuff, a thing, they're buying an experience, mm-hmm. right? And so the services then become part of that experiences. And so the services can add real value and they can add real monetary value. A friend of mine, Donna Weber, wrote a book called Onboarding Matters about customer onboarding. And she says, create a really good onboarding course and charge for it. Charge for the course, which is like, wait, wait, what? But I think she's got a valid argument there that that's part of the experience. I mean, obviously you want your people to be successful. You don't want them to have to go through. It depends on what, if you're doing the rent the runway, don't charge for onboarding. You know, I mean, it's it's going to be really content sensitive. So I would say don't devalue your services. But the flip side is, let me just say too, offering a lot of valuable services free enhances the value of your offering. And if you decide you want to start charging, it's really hard to take away stuff you've been doing for free. So right. think about that carefully, because as soon as we have it as customers, we are entitled to it. Yes, <laughs> like, of course. This is it. Right. So when it's yeah. taken away, again, you, it's like a little bit of trust loss, a little bit of what the heck? I thought this was part of the deal. So you need to be careful as you position that. People certainly understand tiered services. This is what I get, and there's value in it without paying any extra. There's extra val- There's more value in this, and there's even more value in this. And letting people choose their tier feels more comfortable to them than so not. as an analogy, or sort of an analogy to what you're saying, and typically we would do onboarding training. It's a part of the cost of implementation service. But could you imagine if we had a premier tier that you had a subscription or that you would have recurring training throughout the year as a subscription to increase user adoption, mm-hmm. to increase the value of their purchase? Yeah. So that just struck me, by the way, make a note for that rock team we talked about. We have a rock team here, I was telling you, and we run entrepreneurial operating systems. So we have a rock team that's working on subscription services. The other thing I wanted to bring up too while we're here is I I found this interesting in the book. And for those who are watching on YouTube, there's a funnel and a French horn, funnel (laughs) and a French horn. And could you tell us a little bit of difference about the traditional funnel uh, or pipeline versus the French horn? So the traditional funnel comes from that traditional selling widgets transactions. Sale is a transaction and there are strong arguments that it doesn't really even fit necessarily for selling widgets for basic transactions anymore because the customer does so much of the research and the decision-making outside without ever even talking to you, right? Mm -hmm. But yet, yet, we can't forget or neglect the power of metaphor to the way we think. It really shapes our thoughts and feelings. So if we keep clinging to this funnel metaphor, it's going to affect the way we think about our customers. It's going to affect the way we think about our actions. So the traditional funnel is, you know, you cast a wide net and the customers are these passive things get trapped in the funnel and they get funneled, they get funneled down until this narrow point. And that's when they buy and ka-ching, end of story. Some have added a little hourglass at the end. It's like, oh, after they buy, maybe we can upsell them. You know, it's like, oh, okay, fantastic. So then maybe it widens out a little bit and they'll become customers. But in this thing, we're really thinking about, yeah, it's so one way. I want that picture up there again because it's... The French horn. The French horn is people go around in the back, they come back, they go back into the funnel or they refer someone back and... Reality is messy. Reality is the French horn, right? (laughs) You can cast a wide net, but what happens in the middle is people kind of pause for a while. They re-enter, they go back, they refer people. 
you need to keep working on what happens after the point of the sale because right. that feeds back. It feeds back through referrals. It feeds back through more sales. It feeds back through them giving you insight that helps you make your product better and attract more sales, all of that. And perhaps that has to do with uh, thinking about the customer on a journey, you know, their buyer's journey. And we yeah. were just talking about this this week and our CEO said, well, that's a part of their buyer's journey, you know, right? We have consulting services that may lead to technology and that's a part of the journey. Yeah. So to me, that French horn is all that feedback pieces that allows you to continuously educate the folks that you have been thinking about doing business with or you've done business with to allow them to continue their journey. And we think about this as getting to outcomes. That's what we want to get to. Clients, we want to get them to, I've heard this new phrase, which I really love. Instead of B2B, it's B4B. I don't know if you've ah, heard that, right? And I it's like about, that one. Right? Yeah. It's about getting clients to outcomes, helping them achieve outcomes. So in our case, we're a growth enablement company. We want to help companies scale and grow. I want to get them to an outcome. And maybe there's a coaching service that we'll provide at some point where we'll benchmark and get them to their ultimate outcome and coach them to that place. So yeah, does that resonate with you, what I just said? Oh, I think shifting to outcomes versus sales <laughs> is really important. Um, shifting to that sense of what's the customer outcome, that is sort of the fundamental shift. Because what I found by the first book I wrote, is like, hey, here's some marketing strategies you could do at scale. And second edition, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I've added more. And actually, I was informed very much. Thank you, Allie. The people who responded to this book were not marketers. They were customer success and customer experience professionals. Yeah, that's interesting. They were like, oh, you wrote a book for me. I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the first year yeah. they're inviting me to their conferences. It's like, I didn't. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I quick that's added chapters. That's marketing here. <laughs> we do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So. Shoot, what was my point? <laughs> I got oh, because you said customer success people. But let yeah, me bring well, you to this. I'm going to start over with this question because I want to move us along a little bit because I know I'm, you know, I'm so fascinated with the book. If you notice when I head it up, I have marked pages, I have dog ears all through it. So I really, I really, folks, I recommend you read this because again, it's going to help your company think about how to progress to a subscription model. And also a couple of concepts that you talk about is storytelling brand, perception, authenticity. Tell me about storytelling and how that has impacted maybe the shift in marketing. Yeah. So storytelling has become this big buzzword in, in marketing, but it's because the story is such a powerful way to actually connect with people on a more fundamental level than just shooting features and benefits at them. I have to say early in my career, I mean, I used to write customer stories, right? Yeah. Which was nothing more than a data sheet formatted as problem solution so, benefits yeah. with a customer name stuck right. at the top, right? We've all been guilty. It's like, I'm going to have my penance to pay in a future life for all of that. <laughs> they were terrible. They were not stories. So your brand is never the hero of a customer story, right? right. The yep. customer is always the hero. Mm -hmm. I like to think of now when I look at companies writing customer stories, it's like Harry Potter and his wand. Your brand is the wand. Nobody wants to read about the wand. They want to read about Harry Potter, right? right, right. So, so that's how we approach the stories that we tell. When we show those outcomes, you talked about selling outcomes. When we show those outcomes, that's very powerful. And then you can get into the details of how, well, he had this spell and he had this wand and the wand was fitted to him and he knew the right spell to use. You know, I mean, I don't know why I'm picking on Harry Potter at this moment, but it I've never met him. Someone. Harry who? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
the customer's journey, maybe this goes back to our customer journey question, which is the customer's journey, that's their hero's journey. And all we're trying to do is find, first of all, those customers for which we are the right wand, we are the right aid, we can help them on that journey. And they're all Mm -hmm. a little different. That just doesn't fit with the funnel models. Like everybody goes to the same funnel, they block out at the end. That's just, it doesn't fit. So yeah, customer I think journey is a much better one. Yeah, the journey needs to lead to that to me that outcome because I think that's where the real value is today. I think I think vendors who are coin operated today who are just selling, selling, selling for the sake of selling, and I know and I won't name them. I'm so tempted to. Anyways, um, I'm not going to name them, but there's so many SaaS software companies doing it today. They just sell the licenses. There is no outcome. There's nothing from them. That's where I really want our company to make sure that we are constantly delivering. They will provide the platform. And if it's the right platform, then we can deliver the outcome on top of it. That has to be the focus. And I think that is the story. What was your journey? How did you succeed? Or the things you implement? Everybody's story is going to perhaps be different. Does that make sense in a customer story, the way you think about it? Absolutely. And here's the other thing. I said that I published the third edition in January 2020, right before the pandemic. So if there ever would be a fourth edition, it would include chapters about resilience, right? Because when you are a a partner with your customer Mm -hmm. in their story, then if situations change and your product isn't a perfect fit anymore, it doesn't matter. You're helping them get to an outcome. I think that the most resilient companies that I've seen through the disruptions of, let's say, 2020 and early 2021 are those who had strong relationships with their customers. And the wisest, some, you know, some companies were, you know, in a great situation already before the, I mean, for a pandemic, let's say Zoom or something, right? Right. They chose, instead of doubling down on revenue, they doubled down on relationships. Right. They said, okay, we're going to use this to increase our relationships with the world because we know long-term that's what's going to make the difference. So Which I is, think as a result, the brand floated to the top. The brand floated exactly. to the top because, yeah, they didn't try to say, oh, good, sign up for a huge corporate license. We can make hay, baby. Some of the restaurants did very well because they reached out to their customers and they're like, what is it you want? You want delivery cocktails. Okay, we'll work with the sea. We'll, we'll do, you know, a margarita cart, whatever. I mean, they found yeah. ways to solve the problem to be part of the outcome that the customer wanted, as opposed to, this is my model, conditions have changed, it's not going to work. I'm a little curious, Anna, that you knew I asked for a cocktail cart. (laughs) Of margarita. (laughs) I don't know if somebody here talked to you prior, but... It's curious. So listen, I wanted to ask you one last question before we go to our techtainment session. Do you have any stories or examples of companies that jumped into this new subscription economy and got it right, other than some of the ones that we really know? Any ones that are obtuse that you can think of? I'm going to share one with you because it's so counterintuitive. And this is one that I highlighted in the book. But what you don't know is I highlighted it in the second edition, and then it changed over to the third edition. So this was a services company that was doing staffing services. This is something you're usually, you sign up, I need help filling this position, right? I need help filling this position. And you pay them per position filled. Yep. So Rollo Fontenot, who is running the company as Ascend HR, I think I got the company name right. No, you have it right. Yeah, that, thing, that was in your book, wasn't it? In your yeah. Book? yeah, it was in the book. Because So yeah. in, the fir- in the second edition, I came to him and he said, look, I did this thing. Um, I read your first edition. <laughs> we decided to switch to a subscription model. So instead of competing with our customers, like if they could fill the spot, they didn't have to pay us the fee. So now, really, they don't want to give us complete information. They want us to go after, you know, it's this odd situation. Hmm. So we said, we're just changing. We'll fill as many positions as you need. 
during this time, now we're all incentivized to work together. So in addition to, he told me how that went and how it was a little tough transition, but it completely transformed his business because he was the only guy doing this. He was the only staffing services company doing this at the time, at least in his market. Return for version three, and I go to say, hey, is this story still up to date? He says, well, really interesting. You know, as we got closer and more embedded with our customers, we found that the ones that this was a really great fit for were those in healthcare. And this is, again, pre-pandemic, right? So healthcare staffing now is like, I can't even imagine. But he said, this is where the fit was. And they were the ones who were really responsive. So we have now spun off just a healthcare-specific So they did this thing, and yes, it helped them differentiate, but it also, the feedback loop, return to that French horn metaphor for a moment, the feedback loop that came to them from their customers was, here's a a group of them that we can really serve really well, and we're going to double down there. So here's a way of taking a business that's entrenched in one model, Mm -hmm. rethinking the model, and hence rethinking the business from what you learn Right. your customers. I love that story because it's just, it's not just about how you're pricing your products. Mm-hmm. It's right. not about that at all. It's how you're listening to your customers. A great story. Yeah. All right. We're moving into tech tainment and I'm going to let Goody. the team go ahead and ask your questions. I know you had some questions. We should uh, go first. Like tech tainment. We should have, why don't we have music for this background? <laughs> no, when we, hit this? we need sound effects. Tech we do. Yeah. Oh, God, well, I we need... could get like, I'm sure we could order some, okay. <laughs> like an air horn or something. I need it. Get it for me. <laughs> okay. And I want I want both to go first. Great. So we were we were talking a little bit about the pandemic. I know a lot of people adopted new hobbies during the pandemic. So I will ask you either what was your favorite pandemic hobby, or what was your favorite pandemic hobby trend? Maybe that others adopted. I'm going to share with you my favorite because I think it's really unusual. I'm a classically trained singer, and I study oh. with a voice teacher in San Francisco. I've moved away from San Francisco, so I don't study with her in person anymore. So the pandemic happened, and obviously she's not opening up her home to have people come sing in her face, right? I mean, this is like, okay, this has changed. So she set up this twice a week, but she's like, all my singers, some of them are in choruses. All of this is gone. How are they singing? So she set up a twice a week community vocalizing thing. And first it was for her voice studio, then it was for anybody. She gets on Zoom, like 100 singers join in. We're all muted, so we just hear her. And she vocalizes for half an hour, twice a week, completely free. And then she started offering additional paid workshops on the lower passaggio or breath support and all this fantastic stuff. So here's something that she would have never done, but she's actually built her community. There's people who are far a few People join in from Japan. You know, her clients who have moved around the world, her have all there and we get to go online and we see each other because a lot of us turn on our cameras it's like there's deborah you know so it's this surprising lovely one of my favorite you know outputs of the pandemic was connecting with this group of singers twice a week through my voice teacher that's awesome and i'm a classically trained singer too i have a music degree (laughs) now i work in technology sales but i still love to sing and i'm a songwriter as well and when Allie's in the office, I sing and she sings. I, mean, I think it's quite melodic. We do. We with sing my, together. With my dulcet tones. <laughs> so great. I love that. And my dad is also a singer. He he sings in a barbershop chorus. And they would go like and put those uh, like at the drive-in movie theaters, you know, those little audio boxes on their cars and all sing together. Really cute. That's cool. <laughs> That's so adorable. I will, you know what, Allie, I will send you the link. It's code-vo.com. It's free. Join so. in. I would love to do that. <laughs> 
Make sure we get that into this podcast link. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you got there, Sarah? Well, I'm in, I only sing in the car when nobody's around singer. (laughs) But my question is, if you could only keep three apps on your phone, what would they be? Ooh. Oh, that's very interesting. Okay. One of them would definitely be notes because I'm constantly externalizing my memory and putting things down in notes. So that's yep. a, that's a gimme. Notes is a gimme. I have an, an iPhone, but something similar on a, any yep. phone, I'm sure. What would the other ones be? Let's put aside email. That's way too boring. I'm going to give you some other uh, interesting <laughs> ones. There's a, <laughs> okay, here's a fun one. For, there's one called SingScope. This again, for the classically, you can see your vibrato, you can see your pitch, how close you are to tune. So that's a really fun one for music musicians. That And I would definitely keep that. Oh. I could leave aside my social. What else would my third one be? God, such a good question. I'm afraid I'm going to pick the easy thing and say it has to be a browser because I'm endlessly curious. And I'm always like, oh, I wonder what that <laughs> what that would be. I don't think I could give up a browser on my phone. That would be terrible. <laughs> Middle of the night, I'm looking in the browser if something comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, um, precisely. So, oh, yeah. so <laughs> my question now has led me to your other answer. And I was going to ask, what should I ask that I didn't know enough to ask? <laughs> but the fact that you're a singer, tell me, so classically trained, so what would you sing? What would the music be? What would be that that you like to sing? Pre-pandemic, I did a lot of singing in symphonic choruses like I, I sang for the with the san francisco symphony chorus for like six oh. years and that was just such a joy and delight to be on stage with like 200 musicians doing something wow. really fantastic now i'm not doing that obviously mm-hmm. um but art songs it just i almost am doing it less for the performance and more for the personal joy so yep i'm did like, you ever do standalone performance yourself without being in a large you did yeah yeah, I would do solo singing. I did recitals. I did solo pieces in symphonic and orchestral works or choral works, you know, solo mm-hmm. segments, things like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a ham. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're a ham and I'm glad you said that because would it be possible that you would sing us a couple bars and something? No. <laughs> Come on, Anne. I'm not warmed up. It's morning. No. Me, 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 me. Come on. Oh, I would say no, too. Right. Would you, too? You're going to back me up on this one, Allie. Thank you. Yeah. Let's all right. do a round of row, 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 row your boat. Yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. on, on you Zoom, you have to turn on original voice. You have to do some Zoom setting things yeah, or else it equalizes crap we'd, out. We'd do that. You, Don't worry. You do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You'd be fine. <laughs> all right. So, listen, uh, this is really great. I've really enjoyed talking to you. You're a lot of fun. What's next for you? Anything on your roadmap coming up? You know, I've been writing more books about writing. So my last one was 33 Ways Not to Screw Up Your Business Emails. And that's a oh, super short, that's really a, fun. That's a good yeah. that one. That's a good one, Buy that one. at you. But I would say... 33 Ways Not to Screw Up Your Business Emails. Yep. yep. By Ann short, Janzer. Super short, super sweet, actionable. I asked Love people it. about their business, their email failure stories, which was hilarious and fun um, okay. in retrospect, not when they were happening. Um, <laughs> and then people shared their best practices to avoid those things. And it was a, a really fun book to do. Yeah. So this is Anne 
Janzer. You can find her on Amazon. Here's the book that we read, which is subscription marketing, but she has other great books. It sounds like 33 ways not to screw up your business. Email marketing is one. There's other content styled, um, marketing styled books. I've, I think I saw. There's other books about writing. And the other thing I wanted to say or just share with your listeners is if you enjoy talking about this stuff, there is a discussion guide for the 33 ways book freely available on my website. You don't even have to buy the book. You can just go get the discussion guide and maybe use it to spur discussions like this one with your teammates, with What's your, your website. Ann? The website so, is anjanzer.com, A-N-N-E, janzer.com. And you have to go to the resources tab, scroll till you see the picture of subscription marketing. And there, a few dots down, there's the discussion guide. So take that's just a PDF, download it and see. It's like, hey, you know, we could get together in team and we could talk about this part. Maybe this would generate some interesting marketing ideas or interesting ideas about our next subscription service. So I would recommend, even if you don't want to read the book, maybe check out the discussion guide and see yep. if it would generate some interesting conversations. Well, thank you very much. That's Ann Janzer, author of many books now. Website, Ann Janzer, A-N-N-E, Janzer, J-A-N-Z-E-R.com. Go visit her website, Sharpen Your Acts. We talk about sharpening your acts. Always be continuously learning. You'll help your clients and uh, with your relationships. It'll be part of your subscription services, your knowledge, passing along knowledge. So thank you very much. And thank you to my team, Sarah Reed, our Vice President of Marketing here at BrainCell, and Ali Lippman, our CX account executive. And I want to thank everybody else there who's listening. Uh, We'll be back again soon with a new podcast where podcasts can be found everywhere. I don't know. They're found on Amazon. I don't know where they found. They're found on Spotify. Yeah. Yeah, All the places you can find podcasts. So thanks. Thanks for listening, folks. Hey, and if we'll ask you folks, if you ever have something of a topic of interest, send it in to us. Perhaps that'll be something we'll do in a new podcast. Again, thank you, Anne. Great having you. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Growth Enablement Madness Podcast. I also want to thank Divinio Podcast for this episode's production and distribution. Finally, thank you to Sam Ward for our musical introduction and outro. Be sure to check out all of our episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. New episodes are available monthly and cover all important topics for growing and scaling your business. Until next time, this is Jim Ward signing off. Let's grow. Let's grow.